Hi, this is Adam. This is Lois. And uh, we're joined this week on We Read the Book by uh, returning guest Joe. Say hello, Joe. Hi, everyone. I said say hello, Joe. <laughs> hello, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> How are we all doing? Yeah, good. Good. Uh, well, let's move on to the next part of the podcast. <laughs> How are you doing, Lois? What have you been up to this week? Uh, unfortunately, the same old... No job. No job. <laughs> it's like a it's like a no madge in, yeah. in the in the Harry Potter world. But yeah. No job. Yeah, exactly. The unemployed. How it's alright. It'll pick up soon. Fingers crossed. How about you, Joe? Good. I um I bought a wedding dress this week. Oh my so God. that's I'm doing that, that girly hand wave in front of your face thing for the record. Adam has the vapors. <laughs> the what? <laughs> the the vapor- vapors. That's why you wave your hand in front of your face, to oh, oxygenate it? yourself, because no you're going to faint. A, I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah. There you go. That's what you're doing. You learn something new every podcast. Yeah. How long until your wedding again? Oh, uh, ages away. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just being super organized. That's all right. That's that's better than not being super organized, mm. I guess. Are you confident? I mean, you don't, when you have to, you don't have alterations done to like the wedding, like two You've been married. You should know all of this. I didn't, well, I, I did not wear the dress. <laughs> And I've weighed the same since I was about 15, so um, didn't have to get suit alterations either. Alterations are like five months out from the wedding. Okay. Usually. I have had not a lot going on. My work introduced a terrible new system of loading planes the other day, and it's difficult, and it made my Monday and Tuesday very painful. But then I complained, and now they're going to train me on it, uh, so I can. it'll be slightly less painful, I hope. Um, all right, question of the week time. If you could enact terrible, perhaps petty revenge on a lover, what would you do? Mm. Joe. Um, I did enact petty revenge on a lover, so... I'm so glad we have a real life story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't go into the details, but basically this guy broke up with me via text message for another girl. We'd been together for about two years. Um, and I worked at a nightclub at the time, the seedy lady. Um, and he felt it appropriate to bring said girl to the nightclub and start macking out at my bar in front of me with her. Um, so I got the water gun and sprayed them head to toe. You have a water gun? Yeah, because of the postmix gun. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, um, that's pretty cool. That's like that's not exactly a small like sprayer either. It's like a oh, pretty. No. Thumb over it. Got some good nice. motion there. Yeah, Excellent. she was stoked. Did they leave? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm it's so not glad cool. That... It's petty, but well, but you know, don't do it. The showing that guy who's the boss. Yeah, kind of sounds like he deserved it. Yeah. Well, who makes out with anyway? Yes. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, that guy, bad. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. And Joe got the last laugh because she's marrying a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. Lois, what would you do? Oh God, I don't know. I'm really bad at confrontation. So probably my revenge would be really petty and also cowardly. I imagine some kind of property destruction, maybe like, you know, uh, slice their tires or something. Um, Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It depends on the person. Like, Like as in you would pick something that they consider valuable and aim for that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, you know, with guys, sometimes it's the car. Um, I would, uh, I think for me, right, so I've got a problem in my life at the moment where my car is like, there's a rattling somewhere and I don't know where it is and it's tremendously annoying. Mm. So I would sneak into my ex-lover's car and put in like, just at a, at like, like go into it properly, like underneath the air conditioning vents and just stick around something that's going to rattle in there and just 
then that's it. Yeah. And just let it annoy them. Do you know what else would be really good? Like putting something like gross mm. in like the air conditioning vents. Blue cheese or something. Like, yeah, fish. Oh, yeah, I've had some, some bad stories yeah. of that. Yeah, like... Yeah, a fish. Maybe an- just pour anchovies. Yeah, into but not even just like the whole anchovies, like the oil. Yeah. So like it coats mm. it so they can't get rid of it. Yeah. So Fill the engine with anchovy yeah. oil. I can, I can think of some people actually who aren't ex-lovers I would like to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with us. Yeah. No. All right, well, We're all not of saying that, we would do these things. All of that is in the spirit of uh, this week's topic, which is Wuthering Heights, a classic uh, we'll go right in the plot summary and uh, so we can start discussing. In 19th century Yorkshire, there's a young foundling boy named Heathcliff is rescued from the streets by the owner of the manor, Wuthering Heights. When Heathcliff is loved and hated by various members of the family who adopted him, he leaves the Heights only to return years later with a plan to enact revenge on those who shunned him. Summary. This is a, a very gothic mm. classic tale. Emily Bronte, the author, obviously, one of the, yeah. the Bronte sisters. It's described... I mean, because gothic horror is a genre of book. Um, you class Frankenstein but, under that. Yeah, but I think people take that to mean that it has horror elements as we think of them now. Mm. Whereas, like, gothic horror is more to do with, like, people doing horrible things. It's not like... Go- I mean, this does have ghosts in it or spirits or whatever. And, like, Frankenstein has a monster in it. But that's not why they're called gothic horror they're called gothic horror because the people in them are doing evil acts. Like it's more to do with with the 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 setting. It's like dark and gloomy setting and and people doing horrible things. Um, and so I was surprised to see that on IMDb, this movie is one of the genres it's listed under is horror. It's not a horror movie. Well, you say that, but when I typed it, when I typed Wuthering Heights into the Wuthering Heights into the Google search bar, just to bring up the Wikipedia page. The it like brings down the drop down list of the book, and it listed as paranormal. And I'm wondering yeah. if that's because their mention of ghost is just kind of a a trio word for starting that. Um, I guess that association. Yeah, but you're right, Lois. It's more about the generic conventions and time and place and motif. Yeah. It's not actually about like people being stabbed and. Um, this is not a scary book. No, but they do use some of the horror conventions in the movie but we'll probably get to that yeah yeah i mean like gothic like gothic architecture is like spires and um what do you call it gargoyles you know so there are horror elements to it because what we now think of horror come has come out of that yeah it's it's weird i just thought it was a weird thing to list under horror it's it's not scary no it's depressing Would it be scary in its own time, do you think? Like, people often talk about how, you know, we've become desensitised and how things that were scary are no longer scary. I don't know. I don't know if people thought it was scary. I mean, it was it was a classic back then, and then maybe in modern times it seems to have the original, kind of attracted some some differing points of opinion. Yeah. That, that, that well, no, don't original like the... reviews were mixed as well. Mm. Um, the original reviews was, you know... A lot of a, a lot of them were negative because the characters were um, so horrible. I think sort of literary criticism wasn't that developed when this book was written. So it was this book is bad because the characters are bad was basically the kind of thought, which now we would kind of go well, you know, it's 
intense because the characters are bad, but that doesn't make it a bad book kind of thing. Yeah, I, I've, I've lost my train of thought. It's more, it's more about, like, they're talking about the immoral things that are going on in the book as opposed to whether it's a good book or not. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact it was written by a woman probably didn't help. <laughs> well, though it was originally under a male pseudonym. Was yeah. it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. uh, I can't remember his first name, but Bell, I think, was the last name that it was under. Right. Uh, I don't know exactly when it was revealed, but it right. was not. But yeah. Do you reckon that's partly to do with the fact that Charlotte, Charlotte had written books and they didn't want to be compared, maybe? Possibly. I... Uh, so it was originally published under the pseudonym Ellis Bell, and then she died the following year. Mm. Uh, age 30 years old. Yeah, isn't this her only book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and obviously the other two Bronte novels, Agnes Grey and Jane Eyre, were also written around then. So maybe it was just published under a different name because yeah. she was, it was posthumous. Interesting. That and women obviously don't, you know, write yeah, about yeah, such yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> women don't do stuff. No. God, no. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about our experiences with the book and the movie. Uh, so for the record, on this podcast, we are going to, going to be talking about the 1992 uh, Wuthering Heights movie. With Ralph Fine. Yes, with Ralph Fine and Juliette Binoche. Binoche. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the, uh, the book and the 1992 movie. So had you read or seen either of these uh, before this podcast, Lois? No. Cool? <laughs> no, I, it was something that... It was one of those things that I'd never got around to reading. Yeah, hadn't seen it because I hadn't read it. So, Jo? Yes, I had seen and read both before um, coming on for the podcast. Did you rewatch and reread? I did. Ugh. Yeah, I, I kind of... What a slog. We'll get into this, I guess. But I, yeah, I, I kind of questioned, why did you volunteer? You don't like this book. Um, so, for the sake of our listeners. Yeah, but yeah. For I, the greater good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to be super grateful when we talk about this. <laughs> what um, about you, Adam? I had not read or seen either. Uh, the closest I would have come to this sort of uh, even period really is uh, Pride and Prejudice because it is uh, definitely not my genre of choice. Um, but it was an experience, one which we will uh, delve into, I guess. Yep. We're ready to start discussing it. Maybe we should, let's talk about the cast uh, yeah. first for the movie. Um, so there are... There are about maybe 20 adaptations in various forms of Wuthering Heights. There's at least five to ten film versions uh, with some foreign translations as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of TV serials, a couple of radio plays. I think there's a some sort of musical as well, even, or, or like a... a I, I can't remember what... There, there was something to do with music. Oh, what a jolly know. musical and, that and, would be. And there's all, uh, the song as well. Oh, Kate Bush. Yeah. Which I had... Look, so someone played that song for me last night. And I was like, this is that song? Because I never I never know the lyrics. I just know the annoying voice and the, the tone of the, yeah. the pitch of the chorus. That was fascinating to learn that that was about Wuthering Heights. Yeah. There you go. So Context. Learn, learn <laughs> Two things, every podcast. I was uh, interested to see that there's a TV series with um, Tom Hardy in... as. Heathcliff. No. Which, How long like, ago was this coming? More than uh, four or five years ago, was it? 2009. See, I was right, by the way. There is a musical and two operas. A musical? Oh. That <laughs> sounds terrible, that right? That sound Awful. really bad. Opera, I can understand. Yeah, it's got operatic yeah. themes, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, people usually die in opera, so... And a whingy and overdramatic. Yeah. This is very. This has got a very Shakespeare-ish uh, 
awe about it in the amount of people who die during it. Yeah, but they don't like they just die from normal causes. Yeah, it I is guess. natural death. It's yeah. not stabbings and, yeah. and the like. Mm. Is there? There's not an actual murder in this. Yeah, I kept thinking like there? it was like Come leading in. up to murder. Like especially after I saw the horror thing, I'm like, well. It's not just that they see ghosts, right? It's it's like there's got to be a murder somewhere in here. No, it's very weird. Yeah, and and the causes of death are quite strange. Like you, like they're not things you would accept as sort of modern causes of death. Like, you know, Kathy almost works herself up into a state, and that's why several she several of them do. Yeah, it's just kind of like they just give up and die. It's <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, it's gothic. Yeah. We've kind of diverted from the casting. Yes, sorry, we have. So obviously led by Ralph Fiennes and Juliette Binoche, neither of whom really give good performances in the film, to be honest. I think that's scripting as much as anything. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's the material. Just I think the way in the book people talk to each other is just so... I mean, it's stylistic, obviously, but it's unrealistic, so... That's why it's so hard to make a good adaptation into a movie or a TV series because in a book it reads okay when people aren't talking to each other naturally because you're like, okay, this is the style. But when you're actually watching people talk to each other that way with these huge declarative statements, it's it doesn't really work. I, I thought out of everybody, Ralph Fiennes was the best. Yeah, by far. He, yeah. he caught my attention when he was on screen. The strange thing for me is the casting of Juliette Binoche, uh, who'd not been in a terrible amount of stuff before this uh, yeah. and, and went on to do better things later, um, from what I've been told. But she plays both the role, both roles of Catherine and Cathy yeah. uh, in, with different hair colours. But in both of them, she's kind of flat uh, when I was watching. And, and there's just so much... In a book that is... And a story that is so much about passion... There's a lot lacking in the, the yeah. film. Yeah. Well, she's certainly, especially as um, Catherine Earnshaw, she's not the spitfire that she's described to be in the book. She's described as having sort of almost mad fits of passion in the book. And she's just kind of, she's a bit, for a woman of that era, she's a bit saucy, I guess. But she's not, she's not this terrible rager no. that they describe in the book. It's, it's. I would have expected to see her fly off the handle, which she does in the book. So, but again, to be fair, that's the writing of the the film. The directing by Peter Kosminski doesn't really... He got nominated for an award. You are joking. No, at the Tokyo Film Festival, I came across it or something. I don't know. Thanks, Japan. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Just before we get into the discussion, I when I was looking up information about this, I found that this is rate was rated in two thousand and seven as the best love story in English literature by English readers. English readers uh, need better taste. I was just ast- This was on the Guardian website. I was just astonished. I'm like, this isn't a good love story. I mean, we'll get into it, but. Oh my god! I wonder how I can't far it gets. This is. I wonder how far it gets on on reputation of being a classic and yeah. that's self perpetuating. Maybe like people who were voting hadn't actually read it; they just thought they knew what the story was, or maybe they'd only seen adaptations. They really really didn't see this one. Yeah, well, we were because we were um, talking beforehand. So the reason I picked this 
film for us to do was when I was looking at all the different adaptations is this one is the one that most closely apart from the television series this is the film that most closely covers all of the events of the books other most other films they stop they stop after their childhood so I could maybe see if it was just him being treated really badly by his adoptive brother and being shunned and then his lady love goes and marries someone else maybe people would see that as a really heartfelt love story but not if you know what actually happens yeah yeah well let's talk about it then let's get into the story uh so i have written down a convenient short list of 27 plot points which will take us through the most of the story of Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of divided up, uh, at least in the Wikipedia article, into four sections, which is uh, Lockwood's arrival at the present day, and he's used as a, a narrator device uh, at, to a, in a basic sense. Yeah. And he is listening to the story of one of the household yeah. servants. Well, let's just like talk about that for a second. Such a bad way to phrase your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just found that... So I'm like, okay, so... Because, you know, in the first section I thought, okay, so we're going to get the quick history and then we'll go into present day. No, the whole thing is her, is him having this story recounted to him by a maid. Yeah, and that really um, inhibits what you get to see and know of the characters. Yeah, because um, you one person's perspective. Yeah, and why would you set it up that way? So bad. Um, and that's actually an interesting difference for the movie. They got... An Emily Bronte figure. Oh, God, yeah. I wonder what this was, and it's just bizarre, isn't it? She's really this, this weird. lady wandering the moors and comes across Wuthering Heights, the building, and and decides to look back on the story. Like, she's imagining the story of what happened yeah. here or something like so that. So she's meant to be Emily Bronte. Oh, really? Okay. I, sure, why not? Well, that's not exactly... I don't think it's clear in the movie. Yeah, I think it's well, clear, but I thought she was an Emily Bronte character. Yeah. I got that she was some sort of author-ish yeah. storyteller character, but that was about as far as I got. Which I think is really weird. Like, why set up that and then still have the whole Lockwood, Nelly thing as well like pick one don't try and do both awkwardly yeah you can cut i mean if you're retelling it you can basically cut lockwood out and they should have to some extent yeah well i i though i did like how so he comes in at the start and you see it from his perspective coming into the house and then three quarters of the way or almost towards the end of the movie you see that point again from from, catherine's kathy's perspective so you realise that you've suddenly come into the present. I well, present in the story. Yeah. But yeah, so I didn't I didn't hate that, but I agree with you. Like it was weird to have this author go, I'm gonna tell you a story and then have it also set up as Mr. Lockwood coming in. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. Uh, yeah, he's only I mean Lockwood only only is in the story for six chapters from the first three and the last three. And, and yeah. features very mildly in some of the others, and yeah. like in the beginning of four. But, but yeah. he's still more of a character in his own right than he is in the movie. Mm. In the movie, he's literally just this person who walks in and goes, I'm your lodger, um, or I'm renting from you, and I, then that's it. I think if you hadn't read the book, you would be very confused as to who he is and why he's there. Hello, random character. Yeah, especially as the first person who's introduced. And I get, like, I think they were... 
the only reason I can think is you want him to see Catherine's ghost and which kind of sends Heathcliff off and his thing. But you could do that differently. You could have Heathcliff see her ghost or have one of the kids see the ghost. Well, I mean, I would argue that he's probably the most sympathetic of the characters. To well, yeah, the... because he's not involved. Exactly. And yeah. and by the end of this, I mean, I, I'm giving away something here, but we have to discuss it in that I mostly hated all of the characters. Yeah, no. And so to be able to see it from Lockwood's perspective, at least I had some sort of, you know, in to the, yeah, well, to the story. Yeah, maybe an audience insert. Yeah, mm. in some yeah. mild form. But it's, yeah, it's clumsily done, maybe yeah. is the best way to describe it, in both book and movie. Yeah. So, all right, <sighs> where do we go? So Lockwood arrives at the Heights. He kind of walks in on a, a very dysfunctional household. Now, clarify for me, who are the three people who are here? So it's Heathcliff and young Cathy and... Harton. Ha- yeah, Hairton. 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 Yeah, so that was my understanding. And, and they have this weird relationship and none of them really like any of the others and it's just a very strange household. Yeah. So Cathy is... This Cathy is Heathcliff's daughter-in-law... So she's Kathy Heathcliff now, but she was Kathy Linton, the daughter of the daughter Edgar. of Edgar. Uh, yeah, Edgar and Catherine. Yeah. So, so she's Kathy Heathcliff because she married um, Heathcliff's son, Linton, son Linton. Yes. <laughs> Couldn't you so, just name him right, John? This is going to be a recurring theme, right? So Emily have... Bronte had a problem. There are more than like 10 names in the world. And when you run out of those 10 names, you shouldn't start naming your characters' first names after the other characters' I last think, though, names. I it's fairly true to life. Like, it is, but it's so... Con- like, yeah. as a modern reader, this did not help. Yeah. I could not. Maybe we're going to have to refer to them as like Kathy 1, Kathy 2. Well, I started writing as, as in my short version, as Heath, Kath, Kathy... Well, there's actually, there's only two, it's confusing because one of the Cathy's, both the Cathy's have two names. So Cathy 1 has Cathy Earnshaw and Cathy Linton, and then Cathy 2 is also Cathy Linton, but then she's Cathy Heathcliff. And then you have Edgar Linton, and you also have... Linton Heathcliff. Linton Heathcliff, and Heathcliff Heathcliff. Uh, so it's, yeah, maybe we're going to have to, yeah... We'll we'll get Ka- through. We well, can have Kathy and Kathy Junior. That's yeah, probably that's, the that's easiest fine. way to refer. But this to is them. confusing in other ways because there are about four characters with the first name starting with H. Yeah. And Hindley, Hatton, Heathcliff, and yeah. whoever else. Mm. Uh, it's it leaves a lot to. It's tough to follow. You wouldn't yeah. do it now. No, no, no. You you'd never get book. away with that in a book these days. Yeah. So it's it's Kathy Junior, Hatton, and Heathcliff who live at Wuthering Heights. Yes. And Wuthering Heights is currently is run down and a very strange... Oh, and their servant Joseph, that's the other character. Yeah, there's a few servants around the place uh, who all perform non-important functions. Uh, Other than, is it Zilla? Not Zilla, she's one of the Wuthering Heights. Other than Nell. Nelly. Nelly, Who recounts the story to Lockwood. Yeah. Uh, So Lockwood comes to the Heights and then we kind of, uh, he... Is, stays in this room where he sees the ghost of Catherine Senior. Catherine Senior, yeah. Uh, who Heathcliff, uh, we, we will find out that Heathcliff asked to kind of be around in some form because yeah. he just wanted to around. So this is uh, different in the movie. So in the book, it's the ghost of Cathy Senior, but as a child that he sees, it's not the adult ghost that he sees because... He's basically having a nightmare. He doesn't actually see a ghost. Um, and he dreams of her coming to the window as a child because he's just been reading her childhood journal. 
Um, but in the movie, they cut that out, and so it's um, it's her adult ghost who comes to the window. And I, it actually, we were saying it wasn't scary before, but I actually did jump when you saw her face through the window. It's quite All sudden, isn't it? It's the quite, movement it's, it's of it. It's a jump. Yeah. It's a bit of a jump. And the music. That's as scary as it gets. Yeah, that's as scary as it gets, though. <laughs> the music, though, I thought was very horror, like horror yeah. themed, and like you know, kind of going for that suspenseful angle. I think it's kind of funny now, but. I, I can see, like, I thought it was an interesting choice to kind of go down that route. That said, the the music was probably one of the most appropriate parts of the film, I thought, uh, in that I could, there was, I could tell there were recurring themes and it was uh, yeah. it, it suited the atmosphere they were going for. If not, it, it wasn't fantastic music. And they probably, there was, there was all, I think every aspect of this leaves more to be desired. But this was probably one of my favourite parts of it. I the, certainly felt in, the, the horror elements of the music were good, but I certainly felt, in places that these like sweeping violins were trying to manipulate how you felt about the romance. I'm doing that in inverted commas. The romance elements, you know, because it would they'd be talking to each other, and I'd be and I was sitting there going, "Well, everyone here is horrible, and I hate them." And there'd be sweeping violins, and, and I was thinking, "You're trying to tell me that I should think that they love each other." It didn't work on me because I was just hating the characters so much, but I thought. If you were a bit more susceptible to music or to, like... Because music can make you feel things. I just thought, yeah. I wouldn't say it made me feel things. I was just searching for something to redeem this film. And that mm. was probably one of the most... Uh, the closest aspects to that, I guess, anyway. Yeah. I like the set. Yeah, the set was very good. And the really. costumes. The... And the costumes and the, um, the scenery, I thought, was all really well done and quite true to the book. It's a shame that those things are so peripheral to the things that should be central to the uh, yeah. to our movie being good in the characters and the plot and the, yeah, the but story. Look what they had to work with. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, so uh, Lockwood uh, ends up uh, back at Thrushcross Grange, which is the house across the moors from Wuthering Heights. Uh, and one of the household staff there, Nellie, uh, recounts the story to him because he's interested to know what happened to make these people so terrible. And so we get the uh, majority of this book now happens, which is the flashback to how Heathcliff uh, and the, the families got where they are. Yeah. So basically... <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so the fam- the Wuthering Heights was initially owned by the Earnshaws um, and... Uh, Mr. Earnshaw had two children, Hindley and Catherine Senior. I mean, she wasn't called Catherine Senior, <laughs> but we have to identify her as such. Um, and then he's got he goes away to Liverpool and sees a street urchin and adopts him, basically, and that's Heathcliff. Let's stop right here for a moment. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> that's weird. That's weird, right? Yeah. I think so. I think people did adopt people back then um you know you talk you hear about patrons and things like that but they weren't particularly wealthy so i don't know i think it's sus i reckon heathcliff might be related i just wonder like i was yeah apparently there's there's um readings that say that that heathcliff is actually kathy's half brother that i wouldn't that wouldn't shock me that would make more sense as to why mr earnshaw brought him back that said, one thing this book does not need to bring into the realm is incest. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I looked there's at, already basically incest. Cousins marry yeah, each other. First cousins marry each other. So story. 
Let's not consider incest N- then. No, but it and is like, now. You know. <laughs> it's, it's not considered... It's considered grody now. Yeah, and like, well, it's you've got that in Austin and... Yeah. No, I mean, I know that was the custom at the time, but now it's like, oh, first cousins, really. It <laughs> is. It's icky. So, yeah. At, yeah. So, at the very least, she's, you know, people are marrying cousins, but there could be potential here for um, half-brother and sister to be... Anyway, in any case, they bring him back. Uh, Hindley goes off to college and Heathcliff and uh, Catherine become friends. Uh, and they develop quite a rapport, maybe even slightly more than friends. Yep. Uh, and eventually, uh, Earnshaw dies. Yeah. Um, and we, we should add that Hindley uh, immediately doesn't like Heathcliff. Yeah. I mean, he's seeing... I mean, a, a sister is not a problem for him because of the, the patriarch would have favoured him becoming, you know, the sole owner of everything that that his father owned. And then when Heathcliff is brought in the picture, another brother well, is... Well, also he's to, the older child as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And, and a teenage boy with a, you know... I think that's quite normal. I think if my dad had brought home an adoptive daughter and, and favoured her and loved her, I think I'd be jealous and a bit weird about it too. It is weird that he favours this orphan, you know, over his own son. I mean, it's weird that he brought him home in the first place again, but we already talked about it. Yeah. And uh, so uh, when Earnshaw dies, Hindley basically becomes the owner of Wuthering Heights as the most senior Earnshaw remaining. Uh, he returns from college and immediately uh, makes Heathcliff... He says Heathcliff can stay, but only if he remains a servant. Yeah. And when he returns, he's got a wife. Yes, Frances. Frances, yeah. Uh, then there's this weird bit where Heathcliff and Cathy Senior go over to the Grange, which is owned by the Lintons, who are very the, the most well-to-do people in the county. Um, and they're spying on them and... Uh, they're spying on Edgar and uh, Isabella. Isabella, who are playing some weird, like badminton inside, which was weird. Um, they didn't have Netflix then. Yeah, well, fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Linton see them through the window and set the dogs on them, basically. <laughs> so weird. Like, um, admittedly, they're probably trespassing, but it's like they're kids. They weren't really doing anything. Just well, in like... the movie, they're like fully grown adults. Yeah, in the, right. But so, in the book, she's like they're like fourteen. Yeah, let's stop here and talk about this for a second. This was one of the weird things that I encountered when I'm like, I'm like, so all right, so weren't they supposed to be like just kids? And then suddenly, because we've already seen Ralph Fiennes as mature Heathcliff, and then in the flashback, he looks almost exactly the same, yeah. maybe slightly less facial hair. Yeah. But it's such a weird like flashback to see this. Yeah, they're supposed to. He's supposed to be thirteen, and she's supposed to be. Or even 12, and she's supposed to be 14. There's no way they play that at no, all. No, they're adults already. They're in their 20s. Yeah. <laughs> so It's a bizarre... It's a less weird that they get the dogs set on them, because two adults looking in the window is very different to two children. Um, and weird because they already had like child actors playing the young versions of them in the very early stages yeah. of the film. Do you know what, though? This And I think this is a difference um, between the book and the film. Uh teenage or you know sort of first stage Kathy and Heathcliff in the movie are a lot more handsy and a lot more sort of romantic and touchy-feely than they are than what we see in the book um there's a lot more of the kissy kissy and make out scenes so maybe that's partly why they went in that direction I'm not saying it's a redeeming factor or anything like that but I can see like maybe that's but again you can get teenage actors to make out 
easier to display on film about you know the the physical side of it rather than the uh, the emotional bonding side which takes a lot longer to portray on screen and i don't think they hit that complexity at all no in no, the no. movie it doesn't get anywhere close to it i mean the book is kind of hard anyway but then it just makes no sense in the movie it just tells you they like each other and it's that's the end they, they like each other. Okay, you just have to accept it. Doesn't and that's show fine. It. I don't have a problem with accepting that two teenagers who are in close proximity like each other. Yeah. <laughs> that, that happens. Yeah, but in the book it's like, we are the same person. We can't live without each other. Also weird given that the first thing their dad said when they when he brought Heathcliff home was like, you had to treat him like your own sibling. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'll start making out with him. Yeah. Mm. Um, but in any case, so the, the dogs get set on them uh, and one of them actually catches and injures Catherine... Catherine slightly uh, as they're running back towards Wuthering Heights. Yeah. So Catherine is taken back to Thrushcross Grange for, like, treatment or whatever, and Heathcliff is sent back to Wuthering Heights. Yeah, because basically they think he's really common. Yeah. Like, he goes in and they go, Ugh, gross, a common person, <laughs> and they send him out again. Man, it's pretty, just British people horrible great. attitude of the time. Oh, and because Catherine's a woman, like she just compl- she just faints away. Yeah, she faints well, away. It's weird that they take her back though, to like on her own to their house and and. Don't... Well, they they initially do because she's fainted, and then they realise that she's from um, Wuthering Heights. Heights, and they take pity on her because they see she's dirty and unkempt, and to them that's the worst thing that could happen to a woman. So. And this is an attitude that Catherine actually takes upon herself after she stays there for a little while. Yeah. How long is she there for? Three months. That's a bloody long time to not be home. Where yeah. is her dad not be like... Well, her dad's dead. Is her mum not like... No, they didn't have a Oh, mother, it's just right? Hinley, isn't it? That's it's just right. Hinley, yeah. And Hinley's a drunk and doesn't care. Because okay. uh, his wife's died. His and... wife's died, yeah. So she had no reason to go back except Heathcliff. Hmm. And so she starts enjoying the life there. And eventually she does return to Wuthering Heights and... Uh, when when she meets Hindley and Heathcliff, she laughs at Heathcliff because of his appearance because she's now taken on these attitudes of the Lintons. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, and mean. She's yeah, mean. very mean. Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> so that kind of starts to drive the wedge between them. Somewhere in here, there's a, there's a part where Edgar Linton comes up to see Kathy and... Um, Heathcliff tries to dress up, right? For, yeah, to look and, nice for her because he and basically gets in an altercation with Edgar, and then Hindley locks him in the attic. And, and this is what causes Heathcliff to vow revenge on Hindley, yeah. and really actually starts turning the wheels of their their feud into motion. Yeah. So at this point, um, Hindley has a son. Yeah. Uh, called Hareton, and Kathy Senior, Catherine Senior, and Edgar Linton also become lovers. Yeah. Uh, so Heathcliff and Catherine start... They don't fall away from each other, but they, they just kind of become slowly distant. Yeah, I think... I can... Because in the book, Catherine's meant to be around, like, 14, 15 at this point. So I can kind of see why a 15-year-old could kind of be swept up in that, you know, that life where, you know, everything's beautiful, the beautiful house, they ride horses and, and you know, they have dances and, and nice food and... Um, as opposed to Wuthering Heights, which is kind of grey and depressing and my brothers are drunk and people are dying. And I can kind of see why she would gravitate towards that life, but she handled it, and perhaps this is how a 15-year-old would handle it, very immaturely. 
One of my favourite scenes in, in the whole thing is when she's talking to Nellie and she's saying that she's accepted a, a marriage proposal from Edgar and she's like, well, why do you like him? And it actually lets you see the character's motivations coming out as she talks about it and she's like, well, he's handsome and well-off and, and, and at this point she admits that she likes Heathcliff more still uh, but that they can never be together because of social standing and, you know, you, you, could, you had to marry a certain way back in those days to keep your families. This was a difference from the book and the movie that really annoyed me, the way they did that scene. Um, In the book, uh, Nellie's sort of a lot more inquisitive and Catherine does most of the talking and um, brings up a lot of fair points and is actually quite sad and desperate about the decision she's making. Whereas in the movie, she's like giggling the whole time. and terrible and, um, And just being immature and whiny, which makes her even less likable yeah um and i i don't like how they treated that at all that was a really strange difference i thought also it wasn't clear and they again they didn't show they just told us that the point that heathcliff had left because i she's telling nelly um that she's still she says i i can't i could never marry heathcliff because of it would degrade me yeah it would degrade me uh, but then she follows that up with, but I, you know, I love him and with all my soul and blah, blah, blah. But in and true book you, form, he's yeah, not heard that part. Yeah, he's heard he's, it will degrade me to marry you. Yeah. So in the movie, you see him sitting in a chair with his back to them and Nellie can, that's it. So this is one of the things is like, Nellie's supposed to be this passive character, but actually Nellie does some really awful things. So Nellie knows that he's sitting there and she lets Catherine go on and on about like, uh, you know, it would degrade me. And also in the in the book, Nellie sees him get up and leave. So she knows that he's not heard the second part. But in the movie, they don't show that he got up and didn't hear the second part. And then it's Joseph coming in saying, oh, he's he's off across the moors. Um, but they, and, they, and they do a weird thing where instead of doing something where they could have easily shown him leaving, they explain it. Like yeah, she, that's what she's... I'm saying. They showed, they they tell, they don't show. Which is a bad it's choice. It's bad. It's bad movie making. Uh, so Heath, Heathcliff leaves to go who knows where. And for this point, he's absent for about three years. No one, and it's never explained what he does. Uh, he will eventually return with a lot of money uh, and a much better social standing. But for now, he's gone. Uh, and in the meantime, Catherine and Edgar marry and go to live in Thrushcross Range. Uh, and so three years later, Heathcliff does return. As I said, now wealthy. It's never really explained how he and got educated. that way. Yes, yeah, very, very and well. And tanned skin. Yeah. <laughs> As if he's got some sun. Maybe went to France. Yeah, it's implied he's gone somewhere exotic and done well. Yeah, and possibly spent some time in the army, like he's really fit. Mm. Yeah, they, they... Is it Hindley who interrogates him when he comes back and he's like, oh, so where... It's Edgar, isn't it? Oh, yes, oh, no, you're right, it is Edgar. So when he comes back and he's like, ah, so you were, you were traveling. Yes. Uh, maybe a stint in the army. Yes. He just says yes a bunch of weird times. It's a very weird scene. Oh. It's just the whole thing is so awkward and, and not well done. Yeah. Monosyllabic anti-hero bullshit. Really. Yeah, basically. He's really moody and, uh, and he's obviously come back with a plan You as, as things play out. He, he kind of... He doesn't interrogate, but he, he really gets up in, in Catherine's grill. He's like, well, you didn't really wait for me, did you? And he, yeah. and he kind of repays the thing by telling this story of how he, he 
didn't how he let some dogs die or something because was it no, dogs birds. or birds sorry yeah because he saw no point in keeping them alive because she hadn't waited yeah. for him or something he's like if you waited for me i would have let them live it's like what such a top bloke yeah oh uh, yeah i left and left no word of when i would return and you didn't wait for me what <laughs> exactly yeah what it's he's a terrible character why why would you think she what? She's like, oh, sorry, I guess I'd better marry you so you don't kill any more birds. And doesn't she say, um, I tried to find you? That yeah. implies, like, she's written letters or tried to find where he is. So it's not, not exactly easy when you run across the moors and you leave no, like, <laughs> mail address no, for yourself. No, there's no Facebook to be, like, no. checked in in France in the army or something. Yeah, can't check his credit card. Uh, his no, exactly. Anything like that. So, um... Uh, what happens is that instead Edgar's sister Isabella Linton uh, kind of develops a crush on him and even though he doesn't like her because he still kind of has uh, feelings for Catherine he lets her do it anyway and just kind of plays along with it in order to get revenge on Edgar, Edgar. yeah, and Catherine and a bit. Catherine and maybe Hindley as well he's kind of got it out for everyone at this stage yeah so it's important uh, so Hindley, in the meantime, has basically become a drunk and a gambler. So when Heathcliff arrives back, the house has been mortgaged to pay Hindley's gambling debts. And so um, he buys Wuthering Heights. Uh, Heathcliff buys Wuthering Heights. He buys the mortgage um, or is, pays it off. Is this different in the book? Because in the book, do they not... Uh, or in the movie, maybe one or the other. I thought in one instance he gam- he actually gam- Heathcliff gambled he, Hindley yeah. out of money. And yeah, then... and then and then it happens. Yeah, like so he he gambles him out of the mortgage and then buys the mortgage off him basically. Yeah. Um, but in the movie, it's just um, that it's already been mortgaged yeah. off and okay, he just good. buys it. Yeah, which is fine. I have no issue. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. It doesn't really. So basically, me. he's got his revenge on Hindley by being the master of that house. And um, having Hindley be um, beholden to him. Yep. So here Heathcliff then elopes with Isabella. Uh, they go off somewhere for a couple months, something like that. This whole um, kind of bad boy sexiness that's kind of what's Heathcliff's appeal, I really hate. I really hate it. It's like that old sort of fallacy about if a boy's mean to you it must mean that he likes you like if he pulls on your hair that means he likes you and it kind of makes it okay for for men to be cruel to women and that's just like part of their sex appeal and that's what Isabella falls for and I it just makes me angry and I don't like it that's the thing it's such a crush thing it's there's not it's not a, a deep loving connection they have she's totally into the looks and the attitude I don't think this happens in the book but in the movie, um, he actually says to her, um, I'm only marrying you for your money. And she goes with him anyway, which makes her look like an idiot. But I don't think that happens in the book. I think he plays the lover until he's married to, married yeah. to her and then he's horrible to her. Yeah, it's the re- he's, he's masterminding sure as a revenge have, thing. Which, in the book, like, again, is a weird change for the movie to make. You're making this, you're making this female character look really ridiculous well it wouldn't be the first character female character in the movie to look yeah, ridiculous but rather than him being mani- rather than him manipulating her pretending to love her and then being spiteful when they're married it just it's a completely different thing yeah i agree no you're you're right so rather it's actually character development for heathcliff as well that they're skipping out on it makes him look much more machiavellian and manipulative and and 
um, we miss out on all that. It just makes Isabella look like an idiot. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, just so stupid. He's literally said to you, like, what did you think he was joking? And also, like, him saying that to her in the movie comes just after Kathy said that to her in the Kathy Senior said that to her in the movie. So two people have said to her, don't marry Heathcliff, and she goes and does it anyway. I'm sure Edgar probably said, even though we don't see it, hey, yeah. don't marry Heathcliff. Yeah. Uh, so when they come back, um, Catherine is not well. Uh, and so, and all right, so I, I can't remember if in the book this was the same, uh, but uh, he visits her secretly, even though he's told, I think in the movie at least, he's told if you go see her, she will die or something, like because she's, in, I guess, like heart sick or something like that. Yeah. She's so melodramatically sick at many points during this movie, it's hard to keep track of when, when she's actually just not well. So she's pregnant. Yes. And so they're... Yeah, which I completely missed until it was like, she had her baby. I was like, what? I think a lot of people, I think she... uh, Bronte must barely mention it at all. (coughs) Sorry. No, you're right. Bronte must barely mention it at all in the book because a couple of the reviews of them that I read were like, she's pregnant? I guess that happened at some point and I missed it. So I don't think it was just you. I think she just doesn't mention it a lot. Yeah, so she's pregnant, which therefore makes her very sensitive to anything, really. Um, woman's business and all that. Um, and then, yeah, basically Heathcliff is warned, if you go to her, she will make herself in such a state and make herself so sick that she will die. Which is weird. I, I've never heard of anyone dying of that, ever. Uh, so then she gives, she gives birth the next day. Uh, so Catherine's after Catherine's funeral, Isabella uh, leaves or runs away from Heathcliff uh, and goes to live in uh, you know, London, I believe, and gives birth to her son called Linton. Yeah. Who is now Linton Heathcliff. So my interpretation of that is Isabella doesn't want to completely give up her Linton heritage and is really upset that this child is going to have the Heathcliff name. So out of spite, causing Linton. Yeah, Heathcliff. that's and and also the Linton name probably carries some gravitas that maybe the Heathcliff name doesn't. So she's trying to give her kid yeah. the best possible. Again, makes sense from a plot point of view, but dumb from a reader's point of oh, view. Oh yeah, not that they would have really cared when writing it. Yeah. Um, and so finally, the last part of this section of the story is uh, that Hindley dies about six months later of drunkenness and that sort of jam. And uh, which and this then makes Heathcliff the master of Wuthering Heights, which has been well, he the... already was the master of Wuthering Heights. Yeah, well, I, I was I understood that he owned the farmhouse, and then no, no, he owns Did all he? of it. He okay. owned all of he it. He lets yeah. he lets Hindley live there, which is interesting. Well, that's a turnaround from the first part of the story, is it not? From when mm. he was yeah, only he, he was allowed to live in the farmhouse. Yeah, and he yeah, out of spite, he reduces Hindley's son Hareton to the role of a servant because that's what Hindley did to him. Yeah. And, like, yeah. doesn't educate him. He's not allowed to learn how to read. And... Yeah. Yeah, and so Heathcliff is now big boss man over the whole thing of Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we skip forward 12 years in the story. Yeah. At least in the book. Uh, you can barely tell in the movie because he looks the same age. Well, I think they skip forward 18 years in the movie, don't do they? they? <laughs> because she's already, like, an adult, isn't mm. she? Yeah, probably. I'm pretty sure they do. They they skip to because they skip directly to her basically marrying Linton. But yeah, she first meets Linton 
when she's 12. Kathy Jr. first meets Lynn when she's 12 yeah. in the book. The book, the, yeah, so the book takes a couple of steps before the movie yeah. does. Um, they go and retrieve Linton uh, from London. Yeah, so Isabella dies. Yes. And Edgar goes to get Linton. And uh, in the meantime, Heathcliff is somehow notified that Linton is being brought back by Edgar and he doesn't want Edgar to raise Linton. So he then comes down and basically says, that's my son, you have to give him to me. Which he does like that. By law makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then about a year or so goes by before Kathy Jr. meets Linton because she's not allowed to go visit Wuthering Heights from the Grange because her father and Linton's father hate each other. Well, in the, in the book, does she not go and she finds that, that Hareton is also there and that he's also her cousin? So in the book, the reason she wants to go is to meet her cousin. Yeah. And I think it's also that whole, I'm forbidden, so therefore I'm Yeah, and her it. dad's away or whatever. So she she finds out that her cousin is there and she goes up to meet her cousin and finds out she has two cousins up there because she finds out that Hareton Earnshaw is also her cousin. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's convoluted. It's exactly as convoluted as it sounds for our conversation right now. Yeah. It's painful and... I was and... looking at a diagram of the relationships in this book and it's so stupid. The crossing over is so dumb. Yeah, it is. And gross. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the it's intermarrying really... is really gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Linton returns uh, and, and Heathcliff's made him live at Wuthering Heights and uh, he's obviously he's not... He's a sickly little boy. He's not strong or anything. He's pretty weak. Yeah, again, um, they don't know. describe... He's just sick. Um, he's kind of like the anti-Heathcliff almost. Yeah. Which is because he's not, he's weak and spindly and weak willed and sickly. He's actually probably less so in the movie. He's kind of got a bit of like, like he mocks Hareton, although he does do that. But he seems to have a bit more strength behind him in doing that. You wouldn't expect him to just kind of keel over and die. He's not as whiny. Like there's a bit in the book where Heathcliff says, I'll go take your cousin outside, meaning Kathy Jr. And he goes, oh, I just took my shoes off. (laughs) Well, in the movie, I actually thought that he he portrayed that character pretty well. It was one of the yeah. better performances. Like I, I was like, oh, he's weak and sickly, yeah. and, and so on. But and not so as forth. whingy, I thought. No. Not as whiny as the book version. Um, and so at this point, so for clarity's sake, Kathy uh, is living with Edgar at Thrushcross Grange. Yeah, Kathy Junior. Yep, and Heathcliff is living with Linton and Hareton at Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Okay. And so at some and point... Nellie, who's the narrator in the book, she's yes. living at Thrushcross Thrush Cross. Thrush Cross Grange. Yeah, I just started calling it... At one point in my notes, I started calling it Thrush and then realised I should probably use <laughs> the full name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in any case, Heathcliff kind of has uh, another little... He's still scheming and planning his ultimate revenge on that family uh, because he wants Linton and Kathy to marry uh, so that Linton will become the heir to Thrushcross Grange. Yeah. Um, effectively putting his family in, in charge of, and really him in charge of both houses um, and getting back at the Lintons as well as the, yeah. as the Earnshaws. So he knows, he knows two things. He knows Edgar is soon to die, um, which would make Kathy the heir of Thrustcrosh Grain. Unless she had yeah, unless she had a husband. Unless she had a husband. Who was related husband. to... Well, no, she would still be the heir, but her husband would manage it. Yeah. And he knows that Linton 
will die so like won't live to see 30 basically yeah so he does basically this is probably the most awful thing he does he manipulates them into a, a friendship and a, and a yeah mothership. and he ba- but he basically gets linton to call kathy up to wuthering heights and then just imprisons her there until she agrees to marry his son like at this point, it's it's hard. Well, I mean, it, it, a long ago was the the line where that he crossed, where it became hard to redeem him. But at this point, it's just farcical that anyone yeah. would expect him to be a hero. You can sympathise with. And it's so frustrating in the book, which they don't show in the movie, because Edgar and Nellie get wise to what's happening. Nellie sends some men up to Wuthering Heights to basically get get Kathy, and they come back and go, "Oh, we were told that she's sick." It's like, no, but bring her back like he's literally kidnapped her but then also they try to change edgar's will but heathcliff has paid off the lawyer so the lawyer doesn't come and edgar dies and then so the will basically gives everything to kathy would you not call the police i know they say that in every horror movie ever or whatever yeah but call the police yeah there would be like police or like a sheriff or something in the town you can't just go around kidnapping people yeah I agree. It's it's really weird. It's dumb. It's at this point the the, the story is just getting a little farcical and out of yeah. hand. It would make more sense because what Heathcliff was also doing was um, telling Linton what to write to Catherine, and he's kind of using his relationship with her mother as inspiration and knew kind of what worked on her to get her to fall in love with him. It would have made more sense for him just to be that manipulative character again and just go for the manipulate her to fall in love with you, and then you'll secretly get married, and then. Um, and then he would inherit, and that would be his final revenge, rather than just like I'm going to kidnap you and force you. Yeah. Makes no sense. He's he's already pretty maniacal and well. And I think lost they the explain they explain that, don't they? That he no, again he knows that his son is soon to die, so they even say in the movie like this can't wait. You you have to marry him now because he's so ill. So. Kathy does manage to uh, escape and go see her father before he dies. Uh, because Hareton, um leaves her door unlocked for her. Yes, yeah, yeah. so he, he helps her out. And then basically uh, at this point Heathcliff is effectively master of both houses and he he makes Catherine return to Wuthering Heights to live. Uh, and so, But shortly after she gets back, Linton dies. And we're basically where we are in at the beginning of the story where it's Hareton and Kathy Jr. and Heathcliff all living at Wuthering Heights. Yeah. But then, surprisingly, the story ticks up slightly. <laughs> I really thought this was just going to be depressing all the way through. I was really surprised that it ended on a slightly happy note. This is the point that Lockwood enters the story. Basically, Heathcliff is having exacted all of his revenge. He's now going mad. And he's seeing Catherine Senior's ghost everywhere. So he believes Lockwood when Lockwood says he saw her ghost, even though Lockwood was having a nightmare. And um, he basically does the same as Kathy did to die, basically. He stops eating, stops sleeping, and goes crazy and then dies. Yep. But the reason that this the end of the story is happier is that um, his whole revenge plan basically, I mean, he did get his revenge on people, but it basically fails because Hareton Earnshaw and Kathy Linton, well, Linton, Heathcliff, knee Linton, 
end up as a couple. So the Earnshaws and the Lintons end up reunited. And because Heathcliff has died, he actually ends up leaving his estate to Hareton, who is the rightful owner of the estate anyway, because he has no no one else to leave it to. So they those two end up happy together with all of the all of their worldly belongings returned to them. Yeah. I mean the only real major difference in the ending of the movie and the the book is that one is from Lockwood's perspective and the other is from this weird Bronte yeah. substitute perspective. I actually prefer kind of prefer the way that the movie does it in it that it, because of the we're following the story back around you do get that that same point in time from Kathy's perspective up until the ghost. Yeah, they even they even do it um, a different camera angle. They do it from like as opposed to when like Heathcliff and Hareton walk into the building. The first time it's from Lockwood's point of view, straight ahead, and then the second time, the second time it's from um, Kathy's like side on. It's really it's an interesting. Yeah. That was probably. Cinematically, that was probably the most interesting bit of it for me. Which tells you a lot about the rest yeah. of the film. <laughs> like a weird camera angle was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting too because Hareton and Kathy, Kathy Jr. are kind of like mirror characters for Heathcliff and Kathy Sr. And it's almost a comment on if these two had just been allowed to be together, um, this is what it would have been. They would have been happy. Because now they don't have anyone to interfere in their... uh... Yeah, so if it hadn't been for people climbing social ladders and um, being more concerned with wealth and position, then people would have been happy and just been able to get on with their lives. Yes, I agree. But the difference is, is that Hareton actually does have a name. He's been reduced to being like the level of a servant and not being able to read but he's got historically got a name to himself yeah and uh, both both versions of the story end with either their version of the narrator character uh, walking past the graves of yeah. Edgar Catherine senior and Heathcliff yeah so and contemplating yeah her. Catherine senior is buried in the middle of the two men yeah who loved her which is weird yeah mm. but you know gothically appropriate i guess yeah um and it's interesting they mentioned like three lives were taken actually it was more of a bloodbath than that yeah well, i could count all the other people that died i count more bodies and more victims isabella and um francis, francis and all the others hindley although he wouldn't think he was a jerk anyway but. yeah but still it's the created the circumstance yeah exactly yeah and that's the end of the story <sighs> <laughs> it's 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 a deep breath ending like it's relief because the the book the and we haven't really talked a tremendous amount about it but the language of the book makes it very difficult to read yeah um in modern day times you know like yeah yeah, yeah i find it hard yakker and i can read like moliere interpretations and i can read shakespeare and austin without blinking an eye but i find this quite challenging i wonder if that's because they go with the language with the not the language so if they I wonder if that's because they go with the accents in prints, uh, the Yorkshire accent, which is hard enough to understand. I mean, I've got Yorkshire uncle and aunt, and they're hard enough to understand in person, let alone in print, if you try <laughs> really and write liked, that accent. I really liked, though, the thing with Joseph, and it would be like, subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> this is what he is saying, because his accent was so thick. Cause yeah. so the, I was listening to an audio book, and the, the person reading it did it in a really funny way. Like, he'd pause for a second, and then go... Subtitle. <laughs> this is what he's saying. It was right. It was actually really good. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, I we also skimmed over something we missed, which is pretty ho- horrific, was um when Heathcliff goes to Kathy's grave and opens it and looks at her. Yeah, weird, really weird. <laughs> it was weird. really weird. Apparently, in the book, does he uh, does he dig up a grave or something? Like yeah, that? yeah. And in in the movie, he hits at the open coffin. At the no, no, he digs up her grave in Did the movie he? as well. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. It, it didn't. I didn't really. Feel oh, he moves after. after. Yeah, after Edgar oh, dies. Okay. All right. Yeah, weird. Very weird. He's Very weird disgusting. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's recommend and or not recommend this book and movie, uh, Lois. Uh, Wuthering Heights is a classic, so I would say I'm glad I read it because now I can say that I have. I got very little else out of it, unfortunately. Other than ticking a box. Yeah. I'm glad I read it just because I've read it now, but I just, I didn't get anything else out of it. I didn't enjoy it. It was hard to, well, I was listening to it, but it was even hard to listen to someone else read it, so... God, I couldn't. I can't imagine sitting down and actually trying to read it word for word. So, sideways <laughs> for the book. It's neither a recommend nor a not recommend for me. It's, I don't know. Thumbs down for the movie. It's not very good. Joe. Yeah, it's it's hard for you to say like don't read this because yeah, it's you know who who are we to say don't read it? But um, if you, if you were to come to me and say, oh, I'm I'm thinking I want to read you know a period piece um with a love affair, I would not recommend this book. Yeah, I would I would recommend something else. Um, and for the movie, if you want to see Lord Voldemort be Heathcliff, then yeah, yeah. But apart from that, no. Yeah. Um. Oh gosh, there's so much going on with this that's messed up and wrong and bad in so many ways and. Maybe back in the day, like, this is regarded as a classic, but personally, when I, I just don't see why, it didn't hit any of the notes for me. And I know it's not my genre, but even then, it was difficult to get through, and I don't like the characters and the setting and stuff. And it's like, all right, yeah, it's a good example of a gothic story, maybe, but it's just not for me. There's so much bad about it and, That's and the thing. hard I to think, like. I mm. think even if something's not the genre that you're like, that's your favorite genre to read or watch or whatever. If it's good, it doesn't matter. And that that is why I simply cannot recommend this at all. It's a probably a strong not recommend for me, really personally, for the book. Even though it is a classic, it really is nothing more than a, a box to tick. Um, I agree with that sentiment. Uh, and for the movie, an even stronger not recommend. There's nothing going on for this at all. That every single element of it you could find a movie that is better in only one element and it would still be worth watching more than this is uh i'm sure that there are better adaptations of this story out there because i know that there are some that are very well critically acclaimed uh, that have i come think out. a tv adaptation would probably be better because you could spend longer i was quite surprised there's a lot of details i was quite book. surprised at the brevity of the film it yeah. clocks in only just over 100 minutes i was expecting this to be three hours long based on the yeah. kind of the and, and to be honest, maybe three hours would have been a better running time for it and it would have given you more time to look at the characters and actually examine some of their motivations yeah. and bring out something that was worth redeeming in the characters, but there's nothing. There's yeah. nothing at all. And aside from a, a good example of maybe what some houses in 19th century Yorkshire looked like, there's not a lot here. So it's a strong, strong not recommend for me. Adaptations-wise, I guess I'll go first. Plot-wise, it's good. It's the uh, From what I've heard, it's one of the best adaptations of Wuthering Heights. Uh, in that regard uh, but again I feel like the actors are flat and there's so much to be desired left over in this film uh, that 
don't know. I don't think it's a terrible adaptation because it does go to the trouble of actually looking at the whole story, which is faithful. But I mean, we've talked before that that's not enough to make a good adaptation. So it's it's probably mildly below par for me. Yeah. Um, so I think the story of Wuthering Heights, um, when you read the book, the relationship between Heathcliff and Kathy Jr., although it is obviously messed up and I don't think it's a true love story in any sense, there's a lot more complexity to that story and why they feel the way they feel and why they act the way they act that I just don't think translates um, in this movie at all. So I think it's true to the plot but not true to the characters. Lois? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a good adaptation for the same reason as Joe. I think you're hitting all the beats of the plot without getting any of the core of the book. So, yep. no, not a good adaptation for me. So that's a pretty unanimous verdict from this jury, uh, unfortunately. We've had, we've had a few of these, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's I talk about this is the thing. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about what we like uh, that we've been reading and watching lately. Um, I went to go see Suicide Squad the other week. Oh, there, there. This is also <laughs> right, this had some high expectations going into it. Like this is supposed to be the. Everyone, I don't know why. Everyone because... was well. I know why because everyone was banking on this to be the thing that DC used to redeem their terrible outing earlier this year with Batman vs Superman, um, and this is more fun, but not any better quality wise. That look, it's it's a passable film. It's much more easy to watch than Batman vs Superman is because there's at least it's funny in parts. And some of the characters are better. Like Will Smith puts in a good performance. And I, I'm terribly sorry, I can't remember the name of the Latino actor who plays... Um, uh, he plays a fiery dude. Diablo. <laughs> Diablo, yes. He plays Diablo. I can't remember his name. Either. No, no, that's yeah. Bad. But he that's an excellent character. And his, his story is probably the best out of the whole thing. Um, I've, I heard Margot Robbie's really good as well. Margot Robbie's quite good, yeah. I, I've heard mixed reviews of her, but I enjoyed her, her turn as Harley Quinn and Viola Davis is exceptional as Amanda Waller, the person in charge of the whole thing. Mm. Um, I mean, most of the acting is actually pretty passable, except for the guy who plays the Australian Captain Boomerang, who is awful. And uh, I've heard Jared Leto is really bad too. Jar- well, all right. So He's the, on screen for about 12 yeah, minutes. Yeah, this is the weirdest thing about the whole thing, is that the Joker was supposed to be the biggest selling point for this film. He's barely in it. He could have not... He, he had no reason to be in this as well. And the trouble is they shoehorned in all this DC stuff, like... Batman appears in it once or twice to you know in flashbacks of other characters and the Flash is there as well and there's a post-credit scene this is a bit of a spoiler uh, where Batman does come in and he's talking with uh, Viola Davis's character about you know how they can handle stuff in the future Um, and that's that would have been fine you don't need to include the Joker or Batman or the thing in that and maybe at that point you would have gotten more time in the film to sell the characters who actually matter in this but they don't and they just miss so much, much stuff. And it's not what DC were hoping for, I think, and what fans were hoping for. It's passable, but not not great, really. Um, the big thing that I've enjoyed coming out of Suicide Squad is all the people who are, like, super DC fans being like, there's a conspiracy that all the critics who are giving it bad reviews got paid off by Disney. It's like, actually just that your movies are yeah, bad. Yeah, it's actually just that the movies are bad. And the thing is that the, the trouble for DC is that from day one, they were playing catch up. From, yeah, uh, but like catch up, like take a note from what the other studio who is doing really well is doing. The weird thing which is... Which is they took their time to build up the stories. The weird thing is for me is that DC were already 
not on top because they they weren't competing at that point. I mean, Marvel had a, a successful Spider-Man franchise, and uh, and then DC really kicked it into gear with their Batman movies with Christopher Nolan, who, who produced some exceptional films. But also, DC films, does some but... really good television work. Yeah, yeah, they do really good. Like, I mean, the Arrow and the Flash TV show and Supergirl a little bit. They're quite melodramatic, especially the Arrow. But they're good. They're really good. I mean, the Arrow's got a bit silly as it's gone on, but I really enjoy The Flash, and Supergirl's really good. I've and heard then, good things about Legends of Tomorrow as well. Like as a, Yeah, like, and so they're doing great stuff on the TV, and then they cannot translate that to a movie. And, like, for instance, the Batman animated series is so good. And you know, yet they cannot translate that to a movie. You know what? I wonder, how, like, wonder how caught up they are in the whole fiasco that emerged out of the Superman Man of Steel with, you know, uh, destru- widespread destruction. And, and that has become such a thing that they've had to concern themselves with since yeah. then. It was part of Batman vs Superman that they they spend a lot, a lot of time pointing out, no one is in this city. We evacuated the city, everyone. Like, there's no one here. And then Suicide Squad as well, they're like, oh, it's, is the building abandoned? Yep, it's abandoned. It's like, oh, really? Even Marvel in Captain America Civil War breeze through that uh, and even age of ultron boost they're like with the iron man's like scan the building it's like yep cool it's gonna be demolished and they did it in a much better way i just there's so much dc aren't getting right with their films and suicide squad is continuing that trend unfortunately i don't know if this is just internet gossip but i heard that they actually went back um and did some re-edits and reshooting for suicide squad to insert more humor which makes you wonder what was going on. With what was the tone of it in the first yeah. place? Cause, I heard that too. Yeah. It's interesting when you compare it to something like, say, the Avengers, who kind of do that sort of glib uh, humour quite well and, and kind of don't take themselves too seriously but still stay true to the characters. And you compare it to the Suicide Squad, it just felt forced. Marvel's got their house style down yeah. to a T. They know what they want yeah. out of every movie and they bring in directors who will do that job, which is why yeah. the Edgar Wright got booted off of Ant-Man in favour of Peyton Reed. Um, yeah. DC and, are, are trying to take a different tack in and provide something different, but it's mm, not working. But that that's the thing. So... Some of the things I've read from from really the real hardcore DC fans is that is and this group is almost unanimously eighteen to thirty six year old white men, and they'll go, "Well, that's we like the dark thing that DC does." It's like that's fine, and if DC owned that, and but if DC owned that and they went, "Okay, that's what we're going to do," that would be fine. But they wouldn't be able to expect the money that the Marvel because Marvel. For better or worse, Marvel caters to a wide audience. Mm. So they make their money because everyone goes and sees those movies. Now, if DC doesn't want to cater to everybody, that's fine. But they shouldn't be doing a halfway thing, which is like doing these dark, gritty movies trying to cater to everyone. Mm. Well, those dark, gritty movies don't cater to everybody. I don't particularly like those kinds of movies. I wasn't like, I could see the artistic merit of the. Christopher Nolan Batman movies I thought they were really good but I don't like sit down all the time and rewatch them like a lot of people do like I'm I'm not like a whereas super you do a lot of times I do with the Marvel, with the Marvel movies I rewatch those all the time I love them and so so if, Mar- if DC just went okay we're just going to do dark and gritty and we're just going to have a small loyal audience and we're not going to expect to make a hundred million dollars opening weekend that would be fine but they make these dark, gritty movies, inject a tiny bit of humour and go, we want to make $100 million. No, it's not how it works. 
Do one or the other. There's, there's a lot we could say on the DC and let's say for another time. I'll cap off this discussion by saying that I really hope that they do it right with Wonder Woman. Because yeah. that's if they stuff that up, they're, they're really, really in the pits. Me too. And also for The Flash. I love The Flash. Like, he's one of my... He's probably my favourite DC character. Not and I getting love the his TV own show. film, though, right? Until until After, after Justice, Justice League, League. Think, yeah. Anyway, so Wonder Woman, fingers crossed. Uh, as for what I've been reading, I've been reading uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, um, which is the Ultimate Universe version of Peter Parker. I've just been going through that as part of my catch-up on Marvel, uh, which has been going on for a while now, but it's a fantastic story. I highly recommend. Joe, what have you been up to? I would highly recommend uh, a Netflix series called Black Mirror. Uh, it's quite graphic in parts, but I'm sure that won't worry a lot of people. Um, I think it's a really interesting comment on um, the way technology and uh, privacy and things that we're giving up and the way it's all kind of becoming integrated um, is working and, and what price will we pay uh, for the media. It's really interesting. So it's on Netflix, so go see it. There's some interesting that. shows starting to come out on those sorts of things. I know Mr. Robot, although I haven't watched it, I hear deals with a lot of that as well pretty heavily. And yeah. that's gotten widespread acclaim. I've watched one or two Black Mirror things. They are really good. If you haven't watched it, it's really worth a... Mm. Again, quite dark. So yes. maybe like you have to be in the mood. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a feel-good yeah. thing. Lois, well, what about you? Um, I am reading a Vladimir Nabokov book called King, Queen, Knave. Uh, it's pretty similar to his other books. Uh, he writes, uh, well, his most famous work is Lolita, obviously. So, But Lolita is actually really different to all of his other books. So Lolita is really depressing. I guess... His main character in that is quite similar to his other books, but a lot of his other books, basically, uh, the main character is usually kind of a bumbling idiot. So yeah, I I really enjoy his writing. I loved Lolita, even though it's obviously a really hard subject matter. It's a, such a good book. This book's fine. I'm about halfway through it. It's okay. And the other night I watched The Prestige, which I've always heard is really good, and it's a Christopher Nolan movie. I found it super boring. <laughs> Um, I picked, so it's like this two magicians and they keep trying to outstrip each other and I won't spoil it, but I picked basically like the big question is how is one of the magicians doing one of his tricks? So two things, it drives the other magician to basically get this machine to be able to do the trick himself. And then the conclusion of that storyline was really stupid like it was unreal like the movie's pretty grounded up until that point and then it just becomes fantastical which is really annoying um and then also the the way that the guy was doing the trick and the whole basically twist of the movie i picked about a third of the way through the film and there was like you know how sometimes when you pick it and it's like the obvious thing it can be really satisfying it wasn't i was just like Mm, okay yeah I saw this coming and you're like "Ooh, this is a twist I'm like no no it's not (laughs) so yeah unfortunately that I wouldn't recommend that movie Mm. I mean is that the Hugh Jackman one Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale yeah there's quite a there was another movie that came out like a similar The Illusionist yeah I I watched that as well I enjoy that more than this magic movies are hard to pull off Uh, like I mean Mm. obviously I'm a big I'm a big promoter of Now You See Me the first one I went to watch the second one recently and it was not quite up to up to standard but the first Now You See Me movie is quite good but magic movies as a whole are kind of funny they fall in that trap because part of magic is wondering how you how you did it and on a screen 
it's like, well... Editing. Yeah, editing. Yeah. No, the, so the one you were talking about, The Illusionist, that's with Edward Norton in it. And um, that I, I've watched as well, and I quite enjoyed that one. Okay. The sort of trickiness that he sort of gets into is, is like, really cool, as opposed to the payoff in this movie, which is just bad. Mm. And they came out, like, a similar time, didn't they? Yeah, I think people get them confused mm. because they, like, came out within weeks of each other. Yeah, uh, addendum, by the way, on something I'm watching. Steven Universe just finished. It's uh, the end of one episode every weeknight for four weeks. It's been a Steven nuke. This show is the best show on TV, bar none. None. Watch it now. Do it. Would I like it? Yes. Doesn't matter what you like or don't like. You will like it. Okay. It's a kid's cartoon, like cartoon, 10 minute episodes and stuff, but you will love the show. I guarantee you. That's about it, I think. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, we will be back next time uh, with a new guest and a new movie. Maybe something we'll enjoy with a bit of action. We're going to be joining John McClane for Die Hard. Yeah, so the um, the book is called Nothing Lasts Forever. It's by Roderick Thorpe. If you but want yeah, to read that and watch the, the movie. Yeah, again. it's the Die Hard book. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so pumped. I've never seen or read. Super psyched to go into this. Oh, really? Have you not seen Die no, Hard? No, I've not um, seen Die Hard. yippee ki Yeah. I've, yeah. I, no, I've I know more about movie. Die Hard culturally because it's so pervasive yeah. as, as the action movie, but I'm super pumped to go into the yeah, next cool. podcast. Mabel, I actually enjoy this one. Yeah, I think you will. Well, the last hopefully. couple of weeks have been pretty, pretty tough on us. So. <laughs> yeah. um, you can find and contact us at wereadthebook at gmail.com and on Twitter and Instagram at, at readthebookpod. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we'll appear every two weeks in your ears. It will be fantastic as well if you do listen to us that way uh, by reviewing us and rating us. Uh, it just helps us to uh, find other people who would like to listen yeah. and hear our podcasts. That'd be um, great. Yeah, and feel free to send us suggestions yep. if you have them. Yeah, we're always listening. Uh, uh, always listening. Always listening. Um, Right after Die Hard, we're going to get into another reader suggestion, Aragon. Uh, so that's going to be super cool as well. Uh, and that brings us to the end of this podcast. Uh, yep. So with that, I uh, hope you've had fun. I've been Adam Catherine Earnshaw Heap. I've been Joe Catherine Heathcliff Suckling. And I'm Lois Catherine Linton Mitchell. We'll see you next time. Bye. Out on the winding, windy moors, we'd roll and fall in green. You had a temper like my jealousy, too hot, too greedy. How could you leave me when I needed to possess you? I hated you, but I love you too. By dreaming of night, they told me I was going to lose the fight and leave behind my wuthering, wuthering, wuthering heights. Heathcliff, Heathcliff, it's me, I'm Kathy, I've come home and I'm so cold. Let me in your window, ho, ho, ho. Heathcliff, Heathcliff, it's me, I'm Kathy, I've come home and I'm so cold. Let me in your window, ho, ho, ho. Anybody out there used to uh, wear a leotard under their school yeah, it's no, a very Shelbyville yeah. thing to do. <laughs> and marry our cousins. <laughs>